Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of The Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Hello, Mike. Hello. I'm excited for this one. I'm excited for this one, too, because I didn't have to do any work. Angie's letting daddy drive. Ooh, not happy with calling myself daddy. That was awkward. I almost said, mommy's letting daddy drive. And that would have sounded even worse. Yeah. Uh-uh. All right. Well, welcome back to Great Lakes Confidential. Gonna leave that so everyone can be uncomfortable and sit in the creepiness of that. <laughs> The scariest sound for Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> what have I done to myself? <laughs> That's creepier than if I hit under a bed and went, Baba. <laughs> Called myself daddy. <laughs> Sincerely. Ooh. I don't like any of this. Uh-uh. I, I don't like any of it. All I right. So it. moving on. <laughs> this is episode three of season two. And I'm really excited because we've gotten some really positive feedback so far with you being the new co-host. I am so flattered. And I um, I feel weird because I don't want to keep bringing him up. But uh, getting the blessing from Marty actually meant a whole lot to yeah. me, too. Because uh, I didn't know how he was going to react. Because right. this is something that you and he created together. And... Um, uh, he was, you know, pretty gracious, and it made me particularly happy. And I really liked. Um, it, it, I still get, you know, even though I've been performing for comedy for twenty plus years, and I've been a radio DJ before that, and was in a band before that. Uh, the validation of strangers still means an unhealthy amount to me because my dad didn't hug me enough. I totally get it. I've been in and out of therapy for years for very similar things. So My dad shouldn't have been hugging you at all. You just keep getting creepier, creepier and creepier. Yes, like, yes, I do. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna um, say that it's all because it's Halloween month, and sure. and that's what's happening yeah. here. So yeah. <laughs> in November, I'm gonna be super normal. Super normal, yeah, super super normal. Um, but yeah, I'm excited too because we have Marty's blessing. He's excited. He seemed excited um, yeah. in the comments that he made, um, and like. You know, obviously, I'm not going to get into like all the specifics, but people clearly understand that Marty and I broke up and there's probably people, you know, wondering what happened. And I'm not going to go into all of that. But I I will say that, you know, even though we aren't 
friends in the way that we were friends before. We are very cordial with one another. There's not any bad blood. I don't want anybody to think that, you know, we we left on a sour note or anything like that. He has given his blessing for me to continue the show. In fact, he was very like he kind of pushed for it. Um, so this is really exciting to me that um, something that he and I did create that's done really cool things so far um, kind of has the the go ahead to continue and who knows what's going to happen. So it's all very exciting. And then getting positive feedback, like you said, from strangers is always cool. Um, I like if I get a positive comment on Facebook or in our messages from from strangers, I get really excited and I live on that high for like a week. Yeah. So I <laughs> so I get it. And yeah, it's just I'm I'm really excited about all of this. So so this is episode three. So we've not killed each other yet. We're gonna continue to <laughs> to record and see what happens. Um and this is kind of a cool Have episode. You come close to wanting to kill me. So this is another <laughs> Um, this is a cool episode too, because not only is it cool because you get to take the lead on this. And like I said, I didn't have to do a whole lot of work, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry that you guys had to listen to me sing, but, um, the other cool thing about this episode is that it's the final installment of County Roots. Yes. So it's neat because we're going to wrap up the little segment. But then on the other hand, it's also kind of like, well, now what are we going to do? Like, you know, it was kind of cool to learn about how all of these counties got their names. But now it's like, well, now what do we have a segment to put in its place? Like, do we think about something like that? Like, do we just kind of continue on with that? Like, I don't know. I haven't figured that out just yet. But anyways, that's all, you know, thoughts for another day. Okay. It's fine. Um, so we left off on the letter T. There's only one with the letter T, and it's Tuscola County. Tuscola County, which sits along the inside of Michigan's thumb, was given its name by Henry Schoolcraft, though the exact meaning is unclear. According to a research collection from the Michigan Pioneer and Historical Society, Schoolcraft himself attributed different meanings to the word in his various writings, describing it in separate accounts as meaning warrior prairie or level lands. My guess is he was playing Scrabble, and those were the <laughs> letters that were in the rack. <laughs> Could be. Um, Van Buren County, also the only one with the that starts with the letter V in our state. Van Buren County is one of Michigan's cabinet counties named for Martin Van Buren, who was vice president as well as secretary of state under President Andrew Jackson. Pretty simple. Washtenaw County. There are several theories about the derivi derivation. How do I say that word? Derivation. Der deriv deriv derivation. Whatever. I don't. I don't know why I just struggled it, with that yeah, word. How it was derived. Yeah. yeah. I would have just reworded that entire I sentence. I should have. <laughs> um. Several theories about the about where the word derived. Um. Some think it was a. Potawatomi word for a large stream or river or that it meant far away waters. The river is the longest in Michigan. Likely these referenced the headwaters of the Grand River which arise in what may have been part of Washtenaw County's original boundaries when the county was larger. Nah. All right. I can say Potawatomi. I think it came from um, people that had chores to do. It's like, <laughs> okay, do you want to cut the grass or do the laundry? 
Washing? Nah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And that's the comedy gold I'm bringing. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, Wayne County, where we live. Do you live in Wayne County? I do. You're probably like really close to the border though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. guessing. I don't know. It's a shame we don't really know geography of well, our state. <laughs> I have mostly in the time that I lived in Michigan, lived in Oakland County. So oh, okay. Yeah. Well that's on the other that's on the other side of us, right? That's like um Troy, Madison Heights, Royal Oak. Yeah. Uh Ferndale. Okay. Bloomfield. Yeah, yeah. Birmingham. I just drew drove through there yesterday on my way back from Flint. Mm. So that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. By Oakland Mall. Yes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that where the dead elephant was? What? We talked about it on, a, on an episode. The Not- dead the dead elephant. Remember, there was an elephant. It's like a long time ago. There was a circus, and there was an elephant that died, and they couldn't do anything with it, so they buried it. And then they ended up paving over it and building a mall. And that is the pitch of Dumbo 2 that (laughs) Disney would not buy from Angie. And I cannot figure out why. I have theories. (laughs) Um, Finally, Wexford County. No, wait, I'm on Wayne County. Jeez, oh, Pete. Wayne County is Michigan's most populous county, home to the city of Detroit, also the county seat. It is named for Revolutionary War General Anthony Wayne, who was nicknamed Mad Anthony, thanks to his intense personality. Mm. That is definitely a guy that I want to learn more about. So file that for a future show. Heck yeah. And finally, Wexford County, first known as, I'm going to totally screw this up, Cautawabat County. This county was originally named for a regional chief. It was later renamed to Wexford as a nod to County Wexford in Ireland. Oh. So I thought a little kid named it because he thought it was supposed to be Rexford, but he couldn't make the R sound. <laughs> so he's like, Wexford. Wexford. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, that was it for County Route. So I'm not sure what we're going to do in its place. Um, if anything at all, maybe nothing. Who knows? We'll but if, come up with something. Yeah, we'll come and up with something. We, or... I mean, you'll come up with something. You're smart and resourceful. <laughs> I'll do my best. I know you'll do something. <laughs> all right. So I'm really excited. Let's let's learn about the rise, the rise and, and fall of Four Bears Water Park. <laughs> Goldilocks may not have known it, but she was really looking for the Four Bears Water Park in Utica, Michigan. She'd flip over the big 50-foot water slide, and so will you. And those exciting bumper boats, the Can-Am miniature race cars, the big 56-acre lake with nifty paddle boats, white sandy beaches, private picnic area, or if you prefer, the Honey Bear Restaurant. The Four Bears Water Park, Auburn Road between Ryan and DeQuinder in Utica. 10 to 10, Sunday through Thursday, 10 to 11, Friday and Saturday. Saturday, the Four Bears, the best water park afloat. Ask Goldilocks. And there will be a Halloween tie into this. You're so weird. So weird. All right, take it away, Mike. Now, when I asked you about this, I asked if you were familiar with Four Bears Water Park, and you were not. Never heard of it. Now that I'm a parent, I'm finding certain smells bring me back to my... They give me sense memories of my youth. So Benji was taking swim lessons when he was younger, and that smell of the chlorine kind of reminded me of 
a staple of my childhood, and that was Four Bears Water Park. It was in Utica, Michigan, which was nowhere near where you grew up, but it was the largest water park in Michigan. So a lot of people in the 80s and 90s were pretty familiar with it. My brother and I both have summer birthdays, so Four Bears was like the birthday destination for both of us. And in fact, ticket prices were so cheap back then that we went multiple times in the summer. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think movie tickets at the time were about $3 per ticket. And adult admission to Four Bears was only $10. Wow. Yeah. So this was a water park? Was it like a resort place no, too? It, um, it uh, well, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> That's the next paragraph. I wrote it all poetically, but... <laughs> Uh, the first thing you'd see from the back of our parents, uh, from my mom, my mom had a big green Ford van and, uh, you could see like the towering water slides. They had dual water slides that were 30 feet high, like just over the tree line. You could see them. That was the first thing we'd always see. And it sat, uh, it was 120 acres of top notch water park. Uh, and it was pretty much in our own backyard. It was only like three miles away from where I grew up. It was on Auburn Road, just east of Dequinder, and I grew up at 18 in Dequinder. And Auburn Road is basically 21 mile road, even okay. though they don't consider yeah. those mile roads still. Um, and it wasn't just the double water slides; it was an entire entertainment complex built around a lake, uh, where you could take like paddle boat rides around the lake. But if you wanted something more like adrenaline driven, they had go-karts, like a really cool go-kart track. And they had a pool with paddle boats in it. Not paddle boats, uh, bumper boats. (gasps) Yes. Oh, it was so cool. It was awesome. It had everything. Uh, There was a restaurant. They had a liquor license there. So if you were taking your kids out for a birthday party (laughs) and just need something to take the edge off, you could. (laughs) But... I think the success of it was it didn't just cater to like younger kids. They had stuff that teenagers could do. Like they had an arcade there. They had putt putt golf. So like, you know, teenagers that weren't constantly in the friend zone like I was (laughs) could actually take a date and play putt putt. Uh, There was a teen nightclub there. The restaurant would turn into a teen nightclub. It It was just amazing. Like the video games that they had too were like the top-notch, latest and greatest of the video games. It wasn't like they were just getting leftovers yeah. or whatever. So, like, I I can picture, like, you in my mind, like, 1980s Mike. Like, the classic, like, sleepaway camp, you know, the... the, the um, the knee-high socks. Forced to live as a the, boy. The, <laughs> Wait, no. Forced to live as a girl. I've forgotten <laughs> the twist of sleepaway camp. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the shorts, like the red and white shorts, the classic 80s shorts. Um, you probably weren't wearing like a, like a 1980s crop top, but um, di- you, most likely a Star Wars shirt. Yeah, it was very different than how I'm dressed now in jeans and a movie (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to picture you without the facial hair, though. So it's like 1980s body, Mike, with like the the gray beard. It's very weird. It's very, very awkward inside of my brain right now. (laughs) I, uh... 
I looked a lot like Benji when I was yeah younger. yeah with the with the crazy the wild straight long hair oh yeah I love it that's so funny and it's funny that you said crop top because there is a picture of me on either Facebook or Instagram of wearing a shirt that's pulled up over yeah. my belly so it does look like I'm wearing like a little crop top I mean you're not far off yeah that's yeah, awesome you're not far off at all. <laughs> It opened in 1983 and remained a popular destination until it finally closed its doors for good in 2004. But what happened to Four Bears Water Park? Do you have any guesses of where this story is going to go? No, none. I like I'm like if you had to take a stab, <sighs> probably a death. Yeah, you think? I mean, that's just listen. That's morbid, Ange. Like yeah. everything ends in a death, right? I mean, that would be so much better for it to be a Halloween episode. Yeah. <laughs> but there were urban legends about, well, who are the four bears? And, uh, you know, around about high school time, people started saying, like, you know, the four bears are like four mafia brothers. And stuff <gasps> like that. So, um, Ooh. yeah. And uh, what's on those 120 acres now? Because there's really nothing left standing. Jimmy Hoffa. Let's go back to the 90s and start with what was, for me anyway, the first time an innocent part of my childhood experienced its first well-known brush with negative press that made its way into most of the suburban households. And this is where we're going to tie in Halloween. Okay. The Halloween haunted house attraction has become like a booming business for people from their late teens to people our age now. Do you like going to the haunted houses? Because I know you love scary movies, but do you love like the real life? So everybody keeps asking me this because everybody at work is like, you have to go to Erebus. You have to go right. to Eloise. You have to go. And like, I much prefer going to places that are actually haunted, right? Like, like people have had paranormal paranormal well, is haunted it is but now it's it's been turned into more of a an, an attraction with scare actors and my thing with eloise is that i feel like they've turned it into this this attraction right where there were people that lived there that struggled with life right they mm. they had actual real problems and They've taken that and they've turned it into a haunted attraction. And that yeah. feels really weird to me. Yeah, it kind of exploits yeah. the uh, yeah. real life. And I'm I'm not horror. a yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. So like if they were continuing to only do tours of the place and give the history and all of that stuff, then that I could understand that. But to go into a place to pay thirty dollars or whatever to go and have people jump out at me. I don't like that. I do like haunted houses if it's not in a place that used to be like something like that, like an asylum. Right. Allison and I love them. Like mm -hmm. our anniversary is October 27th and we went down to New Orleans for our honeymoon. And uh, we've done a lot of these. Like I think one of our favorite things we did when we lived in California was they had a bunch of haunted houses on the Queen Mary. Okay. Which is haunted yeah. as well. And that was terrifying. Yes. And uh, we did one in New Orleans that was located in a funeral home. That's awesome. Which was terrifying. Yeah. Like, I could have been down in the basement of a funeral home, like, <laughs> any time of the year, and I would have hated it. Yeah. Um, but, like... They've changed so much. Like, technology now oh, yeah. makes them, like, immersive horror movies. Like, even Universal Studios 
completely changes the entire backlot. Yes. To include like horror movie stuff. And, you know, they'll have like different attractions based on different universal attractions. But that isn't the way it always was. Like, I don't, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but like these haunted houses started as like things the the jc's or the ymca or Mm -hmm. like even churches would put on (laughs) and um like they were always geared towards like little kids and stuff but one of the pioneers in michigan to make it more of an adult thing was terror town that operated inside four bears water park and this is during the era of noir leather uh putting very explicit ads inside Metro Times and Real Detroit. And uh, it's, you know, the era of Madonna doing the sex coffee table book. Oh, yeah. And bands like the Jenna Torturers, you know, putting out music videos that make the Michael Jackson thriller video that was controversial at Mm -hmm. the time where they're like, we'll only play this after eight (laughs) o'clock. Makes that look, you know, so tame. It made it it look like Captain Kangaroo. There's a timeless reference. (laughs) (laughs) times were definitely changing in the 90s and terror town was leading that change and they must have been students of the adage of there's no such thing as bad publicity because it's like they almost went out of their way to make bad publicity they had uh, a scenario in one of the rooms of elmo and barney the dinosaur engaged in um, (gasps) provocative activity what and they also had um like noir leather dominatrixes with uh electrical tape covering their naughty bits so uh uh it would meet you know uh it was that is risque it was very risque to the point that over five thousand people would go to terror town every season (laughs) uh i worked in radio at the time at 96.3 and we would, uh, one of the things that I had to do was just sit outside in the Four Bears water park in the uh, Planet van, just playing the radio station. And lines were all like snaked around Whoa. Four Bears parking lot because it was the destination for haunted houses in Michigan. And the city hated it. Um, <laughs> they were under constant scrutiny. And the park operator, Richard Giancotti, and remember that last name because it's going to pop up again very soon, Giancotti was always one step ahead of the city. Like, uh, he knew if, like, building code inspectors were going to come in to try to shut down Terror Town because they tried everything to shut it down and it wouldn't work. Um, And, uh, you know, Terror Town kind of paved the way for Erebus and you know, the big ones today. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to tread very carefully through this next part because one of the people involved is not only still alive, but he's very litigious and has an uncanny knack of winning in court. Okay. <laughs> Allegedly, the Stromaglia brothers were very organi- uh, very involved in organized crime down in Florida. Louis Butch Stromaglia would uh, contract construction work to his brother Frank's trucking business, Vito's Trucking, and vice versa. And in the early 1980s, they won a bid for a variety of city improvement projects. And Louis uh, Stromaglia was 
very falsely accused <laughs> of providing county commissioners with prostitutes in exchange for trucking <gasps> contracts. Whoa. And while Scramaglia was acquitted of all charges in 1984, the county commissioners were all found guilty. Uh, the video evidence of the men, uh, the commissioners with a man who, um, even though he looked like Luis Scramaglia, clearly was not, um, <laughs> you know, the jurors agreed. Um, but there was a video on a private yacht of um, prostitutes with the county commissioners Whoa! and not Louis Stramaglia. Right. No, clearly not him. Yeah. Rumor had it, though, that Louis Stramaglia had very strong ties to the mafia. In 1983, the Miami Herald directly asked him, like, hey, um, you're friends with, like, refuted Detroit crime boss uh, Jack Toko, aren't you? And Stramaglia answered, yeah. Jack Toko, what difference does it make? I'd rather uh, have Jack Toko as a friend than 20 FBI agents. <laughs> so, like, he, he was just sort of, like, baiting them. Uh, Jack Toko was the head of the Detroit Partnership, also known as the Detroit Mafia. Uh, and it was rumored, and I stress again, rumored <laughs> that Lewis and Frank Stramaglia were soldiers in the Detroit Partnership. One of the big contracts that the Stramaglias were awarded in Florida was building a sewer system for a highway that would run through Orlando. And Stramaglia would also later be acquitted of falsifying affidavits to the city of Orlando. He claimed to have paid $4.77 million, $4.77 million to a pipe supplier for building the sewer, while the city claims he only actually paid $1.4 million and pocketed the rest. The alleged <laughs> missing $3.3 million was used to open Four Bears Water Park. What is going on? Uh-huh. So Lewis and Frank left Florida to operate Michigan's newest attraction. Lewis was the president of Four Bears, while Frank was the vice president of the park and owned the restaurant inside. And everything seemed to be going well for the Stromaglia brothers, the park was running, and like I said, at the start of this, it was a huge success, regardless of where the startup funds came from, or may not have come from. Uh, <laughs> that is until late 1989, when investigation into the Orlando Sewer Project followed an alleged paper trail from the uh, supposed missing funds in Orlando to Michigan, Utica, Michigan, specifically, Four Bears Water Park. So Frank, the younger brother, was set to stand trial for grand larceny in the case in 1990, but was unable to when he was found dead inside a comfort <gasps> inn in Rochester. There was death. Yes. The door was bolted from the inside, and his body was found in a hot tub with an apparent cocaine overdose. Uh, he not only had 20 times... The lethal amount of cocaine what? in the system, but the powder also had traces of cadmium, a metal that, if inhaled, will you know, kill you. <sighs> but this t was totally ruled as an accidental oh overdose, my God. no matter how suspicious it might look. And do you remember Richard Giancotti, who I mentioned, yes. who was always one step ahead of the city trying to yes. close down Terrortown? Well, uh, he had a brother named Mark. Mark was another one of the executives at Four Bears Water Park. So by my math, four Italian brothers kind of maybe <laughs> makes the Four Bears urban legend. Well, you know, maybe. You know. So five weeks. He was Mark Giancotti was best friends with Str Frank Stromaglia. 
So five weeks after the apparent accidental cocaine overdose of Frank Scramaglia, Mark was found shot to death in his car in a Rochester Hills parking lot a couple miles away from where Frank Scramaglia was. And the weapon found at the scene of the shooting was Frank Scramaglia's 357 Magnum. Oh my, I have goosebumps. This mm-hmm. is insane. So federal documents now have been released and show that Frank reached out to the prosecutors and the FBI and was about to turn on his big brother, Lewis, in the Florida racketeering investigation. One theory is that Lewis knew his baby brother had to go, so he ordered his brother's best friend, Mark, to hot dose him. Then after a change of heart, a hit was put on Mark and in an act of eye for eye justice, Frank's gun was used. But that's all conjecture because there is no such thing as the mafia. (laughs) It's likely we'll never know what actually happened. Oh, my God. What we do know is that in the aftermath of the mysterious deaths of two of the four Four Bears water park executives is Frank's part of the business goes to a Stromaglia sister, Nancy, and she holds on to them for four years before just giving them to Lewis, the oldest Stromaglia sibling. So the park continues to operate through the 90s. And by the time I was working full time uh, in radio and I moved to New Orleans. And um, so even though I did set up the radio station van there, I wasn't really that familiar with the operating of the park itself. Um, So I didn't know if it had the same youth appeal in the 90s that it did in the 80s. Or if, like, all the negative publicity of Terror Town being so adult-themed made it so, like, parents didn't feel comfortable bringing their kids anymore. I asked Allison because she grew up on the other side of Four Bears from me, but probably about, maybe about 20 minutes away. She said by the 90s, prices got to be too expensive, so they never went there. And it... uh, it developed a bad reputation of being kind of dirty. Yeah. Like people would talk about uh, getting pink eye in the Ooh. pool and stuff like that. And, uh, but that that definitely wasn't the case in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, it did close for good in 2004, but that wasn't the end of Louis Stromaglia. I said when we first started talking about him that his nickname was Butch, but I think more appropriately would be to call him Teflon Lou. Because after the park closed, the IRS tries to sue Stromaglia for basically playing a big business version of three-card Monty. They said that he was transferring debts, tax bills, contracts, and business between a series of dummy corporations Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't have to pay debts or taxes and stuff like that. Um, So they, uh, the state ended up selling off the land. The 120 acres was divided up into like four sections and they uh, divided it up and sold off three of the parts. And it's now like lakeside condos and really expensive mansions. It's all zoned residential now. So in a shrewd move in 2007, Stromaglia countersued the United States to get his money back for them seizing his land and selling it. And here's the kicker, Angie. <laughs> he won. What? world Uh uh-huh this all happened in michigan this all happened in michigan in my backyard uh actually four bears was north so in my front yard um 
And I'm certainly not going to speculate whether or not Louis Stramaglia has or had any ties to organized crime. He could also be a cunning businessman, for all we know, who was a victim of racial profiling against Italians in the era of movies like the Godfather trilogy and Goodfellas. And it should be noted, like I said at the beginning, Louis Stramaglia is still alive and living not too far from where Forebear's once stood. My research did show that the Detroit Partnership doesn't exist anymore. If it in fact existed in the first place, <laughs> the last hit allegedly ordered by the Detroit uh, Partnership happened in 2007. So murder and speculation aside, one thing for sure, for certain is that Forebears was a really huge part of my childhood. And, you know, I, now that I'm a dad, I hope that my kids can find something cool like that. Like we have Zenders up at Frankenmuth, mm-hmm. but there was something really cool about I probably could have ridden my bike to Four Bears. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have because I was a very lazy child. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was so, it was such an amazing thing to have. Yeah. Like it, it was a, such a cool park that is the best story thank you oh my god i am so like it was it was fun to research my research came from newspaper articles from the detroit news the detroit free press the orlando sun sentinel the miami herald and uh there's a local crime historian named scott bernstein uh who made a lot of his uh research available online uh he put the story of all of this in a book that is available on Amazon uh, called Detroit True Crime Chronicles, Tales of Murder and Mayhem in the Motor City. He created a website letting people kind of offer, you know, it had like a message board on it and stuff oh, like cool. that. So, yeah, it was really, really uh, fun to investigate. Yeah. And find out that the rumor that I heard in high school uh, was closer to truth than, you know. Mind-blowing. Like, so two two things I'm taking away from this. First of all, like, for you, that was like, like you said, you know, quote-unquote, in your backyard, right? Like, when I was growing up, we didn't have, I, I grew up mostly in northern Michigan, so there wasn't a lot of things like that for us to go and do. Um... There were lakes, right? So we spent a lot of time at different lakes, but there wasn't a lot of like, oh, we're going to the water park this weekend or we're going to the arcade or, you know, there was like skate parks, like skating rinks Mm. and lakes to go swimming in, beaches. So it's interesting to, I see those 80s movies and, you know, we talked last time about how I can visualize things in my mind and you're telling me this stuff and I'm picturing like like what it would look like for an 80s you know for 80s kids to go out to these places like in the karate kid where they went out to the art big arcades and whatever and i didn't have that growing up so to know that the things that i've seen in the movies like is really like really happened in somebody's life is really cool to me it sounds so dumb but like just knowing that is really interesting to me um, but the other thing is that must, that was a lot of research and I just have to know because of somebody that does most, that has done most of the research, like, how do you feel after all of that? 
You know, what really excited me was there was no Wikipedia yeah. article. Because that was the first thing I was going to do is I was going to look at Wikipedia and then follow all the, um, you know, how they'll cite mm-hmm. the sources at the bottom. But there was nothing on Wikipedia about this. So this was all old school. Well, not like old school, but, you know. Uh, old school would be going to the library and looking at Look microfiche. Like car, but, card um, catalog. <laughs> yeah, but the um, information superhighway equivalent of old school right. of <laughs> I'm just going to search, you know, keywords and I was able to find court transcripts and stuff like that. And then I had to, uh, you know, Google to find out what these like legal terms meant. And, <laughs> you know, I, it, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things that I was done and I wrote a first draft and then I wanted to know more about, like the timeline wasn't clear to me of when Frank Stromaglia died of the cocaine overdose and then Mark Stromaglia or Mark uh, Giancotti died. Like I couldn't figure out, mm-hmm. you know, how close together that was and you know, finding out it was like 10 days apart and that they had been best friends. Yeah. Was like, oh, like how ruthless yeah. is that? Like the popular theory is that, you know, Mark Giancotti may have been, you know, the guy who had to, you know. Yeah. Get so- rid of, Yeah. I love it. I'm so glad that you got to like, I love doing research. Like you and I were talking the one day and and you were like, right when you first started um, researching for a show and, um, and it was so funny to me, like I was telling George about it. And I was like, yeah, Mike was telling me like, you really do a lot of work for this. Like, this is a lot of work that you put into it. And I had made the comment that George was sitting on the couch next to me one night and I was using his laptop to research stuff. And I had like, probably 10 tab windows yeah, open. Yeah, you have all these tabs open. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm writing a show. And he's like, I mean, like what? Like there's all these windows open and I'm like, you know, toggling back and forth and I'm typing a bunch of stuff. And he was just like, this is insane, you know, because it, it's a lot of work. And it just, it made me happy first of all to to kind of have that recognition that you know I do put in a lot of work yeah. on my shows um but also I'm really glad that you got to experience that because it is so exciting when you find like those little nuggets and you're like oh my god what happened next and you, you know you got to go yeah. to you end up down a, a rabbit hole and it's it's just a really really cool thing so I'm so glad that you got to do that Louis Tremaglia he could easily just be a very smart business I mean yeah he sued the United States and won. <laughs> so crazy. I mean, that's beyond like, you know, even if he had, you know, even if he had been friendly yeah. with local Detroit organized crime, that's still like local Michigan yeah. organized crime versus the United States <laughs> of America. Like, right. this is a guy who I don't know anything you know, about his character other than he seems like a very smart guy. Yeah. Like he could, he could say like, yeah, I'm friends with this guy. What are you going to make of it? So what? So just... At least he's honest to me, you know, unlike 
the FBI or right. whatever. Like, right. I, yeah, I like that he he would give interviews on record and be so smart that he wouldn't incriminate himself in anything. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and if the rumors are true and he found out that his younger brother was going to turn on him, like go to the FBI. Yeah. You know, if that part is true, how heartbreaking oh must God. that be? Yeah. Well, yeah. The whole thing reads like a movie. Yeah. Like, I'm just sitting here, like, for a moment I was thinking, this can't be real. Like, he's going to, at the end, he's going to be like, haha, punked you. Right. Like, yeah. I just made this up. Also, you know, I'm leaving the state to become a writer, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, I, I did that and then I came back. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about yeah. that. But, like, I just felt very, like, this can't be like something that literally happened not just that not just that it happened in our state but that it happened fairly recently like during yeah. my lifetime yep like there was that crazy story that we did on St. Aubin Street massacres but that happened like early 1900s like late 1800s like that was a really crazy story and it was like uh that should have been a movie um but that was so long ago so it's like yeah of course something crazy like that happened back then but to but to have this story happen so recently is just like my mind is blown right now. Yeah. I love this. If there's anybody out there that spent time at Four Four Bears, yeah. That's if anybody out there has spent time at Four Bears or knows anything more about this story, I want it. I want to know. I yeah, have yeah, to know. Me too. Please yeah. email us, comment on our Facebook, send us a message on Facebook, whatever. Like. Semi smoke signals. Just get the word to me that something happened. I need to know. I some of the research, and I didn't include this in the story, was that at one point in time in the late eighties or early nineties, they had a dolphin and sea lion show, <laughs> and I don't remember that. But like I said, by that time I was in high school and out of high school. So when I was going to Four Bears, it was just to play Smash TV with John Caldwell. It wasn't, to, you know, it wasn't to go, you know, and to yeah. look at, you know, sea lions go, ar, 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 <laughs> um, as a visual thing. That was great. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I wonder if that's true because that's, I mean, that's pretty huge. Yeah. But I only saw that listed one place, so I, okay. I didn't want to include that in my. Uh, in my reporting. This is such, that was such a cool story. Thank you so much. That Thank was, you for letting me do it. Oh my I, God. Uh, I know that you like to have a bit of control over your show because this is your baby. And I really appreciate you letting me uh, take the reins. On Absolutely. One, so. Absolutely. Like literally anytime. Cause that was f- fabulous. I, I can't wait to hear the feedback from this one because I'm really excited. And I hope I hope somebody has stories from from there when they were growing up, too, because I would love to hear like firsthand accounts of spending time at Four Bears. So it was amazing. Across the street, there was like a I don't know if drainage pond is the right uh, word for (laughs) it, but it was like a gravel pit. And, you know, it kind of sunk down and there was like, you know, sort of like a little man made little lake pond type Mm -hmm. thing that. We called um, Bear Butt Beach, but not, <laughs> but I don't yeah. know how clean you want me to keep it, well. but, you know, <laughs> Bear Donkey Beach. Um, and Just we, say the word, Mike. Bear Ass Beach. Okay. And we would go there a lot in high school, and that was like the place that the kids would drink. And uh, that is the place that I found uh, my, uh, the girl who uh, 
I felt was my girlfriend uh, <laughs> skinny dipping with the kid that was my best friend at the time. <gasps> and uh, we found his car parked on the side of the street. It was all dirt roads over there. And uh, I was with my buddy, John Caldwell, who I would go play Smash TV at the arcade with. And we saw this kid's car. And um, I was like, there's this car. I don't know what to do. And John handed me his car keys. So I drove past and keyed from the front fender to the back fender. (laughs) It was in someone's front yard. And the guy saw me, saw my license plate. And I uh, did not get away with it. So I had to pay. Wow. For. Wow. Yeah. I hope you learned your lesson, sir. I did. I have not keyed a car since. Good. If someone would park really poorly in L.A., I had um, my my road rage vandalism chapstick, <laughs> and I would use in chapstick and write nice parking in someone's side window with chapstick because. <laughs> Even if you like wiped it off when it would rain or whatever, or the windows would fog up, you'd still be stuck with nice parking. So, yeah. Born a rebel, die a rebel. Yeah, you know me. You park on the line, I'm going to write nice parking passive aggressively in your window with chapstick. There's no stopping me. I there's not. I might have to find a, a new co-host that's not such a such a criminal. I'm like the Johnny Cash of podcasting. <laughs> yup. Yup. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this again next week. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Seriously. If you guys have any stories about forebears, we would love to hear them because I, I need more. Yeah. I've, I've got to I've got to hear more. So have a great week. Uh, be safe. Watch for deer and text me when you get home. And don't key any cars. <laughs> <laughs>